Hey, Troublemaker, I'm Tina Knoll, lead producer of Pitchfork Economics. If you like what you hear from Nick and the crew at Civic Ventures, you can become a part of the team with your own The Pitchforks Are Coming t-shirt. These shirts are special edition and only available for a limited time exclusively at represent.com forward slash Nick Hanauer. We really appreciate your support and voice helping to call out the truth against economic orthodoxy and trickle-down lies. Again, to get your shirt now, head over to represent.com forward slash Nick Hanauer. And thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Annie Fadley, and I'm here to welcome you to Quick Pitch, hosted by my boss, Zach Silk, the president of Civic Ventures. Here's Zach in conversation with our colleague, Jess and Farrell. Hi there. I'm Jessen Farrell, and I'm Senior Vice President at Civic Ventures and a former state legislator. Hey, I'm Zach Silk, and I'm the President of Civic Ventures. Well, we had an election in November of 2018, and as we know, Democrats performed extraordinarily well. They took back a number of House seats. They have trifectas in a number of states, which is to say that they control both chambers of their state legislatures and the governor's mansion. We won in attorney general's races and uh, secretary of state's races. And of course, we took back the House by a record number, the most number of Democrats elected since Watergate. So it was a pretty good night uh, overall and an excellent election season. But of course, elections are only as good as what you do with it. And so I thought we'd have a conversation about what we think Democrats ought to do now that they have a lot of power uh, reclaimed. So uh, we're going to have a conversation about that. And part of the reason I want to talk to Jessen is because she is a former elected official. And so she has some experience about what it's like to be in the state legislature and to be an elected official. And I thought we'd also talk about some of the advice we might have for these newly elected Democrats all over the the country. Hey, Jessen. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Um, So one of the things that we're, I think, reflecting on when we think about Democrats in, in these new positions of power Uh, whether they are in the majority in the House or the minority in the U.S. Senate or whether they're sitting in one of these trifecta states where they have a governor and uh, two chambers controlled by uh, Democrats is what do they do now? And can you I've I've got some ideas about it myself, but I'd love to hear what you think about how somebody who's been elected to office should think about how they go to work every day and what they're going to do. Yeah, that's a great question because obviously being in the majority means that you need to actually do stuff for people. That's kind of the fundamental thing. And so I think one of the questions that always comes up is who are you listening to? You know, to what extent are you thinking about the constituents you represent? To what extent are you thinking about the stakeholders who might have helped get you elected? And, you know, your own values. We elect people with values, and those are more immutable than other things. So that's something that I think is really important. So I think about it as what policies are you going to deliver, but also what's your relationship to power? We know that, you know, the way we organize power really matters. Winning an election is just a start of it. And that's something that we've talked a lot between the two of us about, you know, what is a relationship to power? And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about... um, you know, Democrats and, and power, and what, what do they do now, now that they have some power? Yeah, uh, well, those of us on the outside and in a shop like Civic Ventures often talk about how allergic Democrats are to power, uh, which is to say they pine for it, 
uh, when they don't have it, but as soon as they have it, they don't know what to do with it. And it is unusual, of course, because one of the things that we're trying to do is to use power to improve people's lives. I mean, I think if you had to boil down what we would hope the democratic agenda would be, it's to wake up every single day to improve the average American's life. Um, let's talk about policy, though. Obviously, sure. we all care about policy deeply. Democrats, as you said, maybe think too much about policy, not enough about power, but we can't leave policy behind. Yeah. Nick wrote a great article on the new centrism as a starting point for how we should rethink policy. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, Nick uh, published a piece uh, in Politico that talked about this idea of redefining centrism and really redefining centrism by moving left on economics. So, you know, in short, we all think of centrism as this balance uh, boring. Uh, yeah, this unbelievably <laughs> boring balance. Like if we've found the mediocre middle, that must mean that we are centrists, which is to make, largely say, and there is a whole governing philosophy that if no one is happy, I must be doing something right. And that obviously has put Democrats into the position that they currently are, which is they largely are seeking this boring, muddy middle where really no one is happy. Nick's point was, that part of what that is, it's a definition of centrism where you balance the interests of the top 1% against the 99%, which is to say you are balancing the interests of the elite and their institutions in America against everybody else, and that by definition makes you centrist, which is to say, well, if corporate America wants X, and the regular Americans want Y, and I have figured out how to balance X against Y, I am a centrist. So so just to follow that a little bit, why is minimum wage a centrist policy? Yeah, so we want to redefine centrism to mean that if you are advocating for policies that will help a majority of Americans, that means you're a centrist, which is to say you are doing things that are working for the majority of Americans in this country. So how about like alleviating college debt? Centrist? Centrist. How Absolutely. about uh, child care affordability? Centrist? It seems to me that that will help a majority of Americans. That is centrist. Okay. How about like a renewed commitment to retirement? Centrist? 100% centrist. Okay. I think we understand. It's about helping the majority of Americans, which our current economic policies don't, That's right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's a way to rethink centrism. This idea that you're balancing the elite and their desires against the majority that is not centrism. That is basically placating elites. That is not how we should define centrism. We should be defining centrism on what helps the majority. And once you look through that lens, those policy things you've outlined, those are the centrist policies in America today. What am I doing to help the average American? So that sounds like we have a second piece of advice for Democrats then to, when they're thinking about policy, to be helping the majority of Americans as centrist not that very narrow slice of elite Americans or compromising things down so that it isn't really helping anybody and it's just something that they can say they did. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think, you know, to get to the main theme of this podcast, one of the trick and trickle down is to make people believe that if they are balancing the interests of the elite against the broad majority of the populace, that that is a centrist position. And really what that is, is you are basically doing the bidding of the elite and that really it's a reinforcement of a current power arrangement, which we know is not working for people. 
People say it. People are in a lot of pain and distress in this country, and it's because we've been pursuing this false sense of centrism. And so we know that there are popular agenda items that Democrats can pursue that are popular with the majority of Americans and would benefit a majority of Americans. I mean, the good news about the American people and voters in general, they're awfully smart. They understand what is going to be in my interest and what is going to help me. And when you ask them just straight up, do they want some of these items that you just outlined? They do. They want yeah, them because they, they recognize it's going to help me. We're not talking about a radical agenda here. It's in the interest of the D.C. establishment or these elite characters to say that what you're asking for is radical because it's radical because it changes the power arrangement in their view. But it's not a radical ask. Most Americans want these things. Okay, so I'm a new legislator and I have fully bought into this argument around the new centrism. And I rock into, you know, state capital X and I'm ready to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. I am ready to, you know, forgive college debt. I'm ready to increase the overtime threshold to $100,000. But then I find that I'm in this place where, let's face it, sometimes, oftentimes, hope goes to die. (laughs) So what do we do? What do I do? How do I how do I take my newfound commitment to centrism, the new centrism and doing things that benefit everybody or the large majority of people and this system that is really made to be incremental and frankly, to really preserve the power of the people who already have it? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that I know and I know you know is that the current system is designed to kind of crush hope and really really empower elites. I mean the design is that the average American they don't bond together to hire a lobbyist to go down to these legislative offices and and advocate for their interests. And meanwhile, corporate America and the elite institutions literally have an army of lobbyists who are there to designed to stop this kind of rearrangement of power. And so we need Democrats who I think were elected on a really common sense agenda to stand up for the average American and to deliver in things in their interests. We need them to be reminded that every single day themselves. I think they have to have their own internal compass on that. I found watching the way that this has played out, I have the most encouragement as I've had in a long time. You know, the type of Democrats that were elected in the 90s, even in the early 2000s, including in the wave of 2006, they had a completely different understanding of what their job was. I think they often saw their job, much like we were talking about earlier, balancing the the interests of the elite against the, the population. And they had this kind of aristocratic understanding of what that meant, which is that the elites actually do know best and that they know best. And that's why our job is to translate those elite interests to make sure that regular people understood how it was so good for them. And that changed fundamentally. It changed fundamentally in the rise of the uh, Occupy movement. It obviously changed fundamentally on the right with the rise of uh, the Tea Party and other things. But then we saw something happen in in this last bit of election nearing in this election cycle uh, where people were not running to balance the interests of the elite against everybody else. They were really running to solve problems for people, regular people. I mean, if you saw the agenda that the House Democrats ran on, it's an agenda that's very explicitly, you have pain points in your life, I'm going to work every single day to solve those pain points. But part of that, in order to solve those pain points, whether it's healthcare or wages or uh, college debt or uh, the cost of education, is I'm going to have to confront the power structure to solve your problem. That's new. And I'm hoping that Democrats really take that 
to heart as they go forward and start governing. One of the things I was thinking specifically that a legislator can do is really focus on bringing deliverables back to their district, right? So that you encourage this feedback loop of people who maybe showed up at the polls for the first time and see that the potholes on their road are fixed because of their legislator, or see that the organization in their neighborhood that provides after-school programming has the money it needs to keep going. You know, I think that really that all politics is local and being relentlessly focused, particularly on those people who've been left out and maybe cynical and not interested in showing up because they don't see government working for them, to really focus on what they're bringing back in the transportation budgets, in capital budgets, in you know the big fights around the general fund budgets, that kind of thing. Second thing I was thinking is that the rest of us can't forget that legislators are only one kind of power lever and the Congress is only one kind of power lever. We can't forget all of the other ways that we can use to change power and pick the right fights, initiatives, court battles, all of that. And so if we are solely focused on Nancy Pelosi and the majority in Congress and what they're doing or not doing, we're leaving a lot of tools on the table in the tool shed. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it as we need to create the context for people like Nancy Pelosi or others to work in to give them the best possible setup for success. And some of that is actually not getting obsessed with the federal government. I think one of the downfalls for Democrats writ large and progressives as a whole is we have an obsession with Washington, D.C., when so much power is distributed and so much ability to have an impact on regular people's lives is distributed federally across the system to the states, to localities, to state legislators, to mayors. Those are places where we can express both power and impact on people's lives. And I would really encourage those new Democrats who've been elected to those positions, especially at the city municipal level, the state legislature, school boards. Absolutely. Those are places where every single day you can wake up and have an impact on, on somebody's life, likely more quickly and in more direct way than somebody elected to this Congress. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Well, really good to talk to you, Jess. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yep. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. The magic happens in Seattle in partnership with Large Media, that's L-A-R-J Media, and the Young Turks Network. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks. And you should also follow Nick Hanauer on Twitter at Nick Hanauer. As always, a big thank you to our guests and thank you to our team at Civic Ventures. Thanks for listening.